Hello, and welcome to May the River Be With You. I'm Mark River, and today we'll be talking about recreation and engagement. One of our biggest topics in One Mississippi and one of our biggest goals is to engage more people with the Mississippi River. If you engage people with the Mississippi River, they'll have a relationship with the river, and they'll take care of the river. And one of the biggest ways of doing this is recreation. When Mother Earth heard the news, an old man river began to cry. Good day, and welcome to May the River Be With You. Today we have a very, very special guest, a good friend of mine, a guy that I've been on many trips with. He's a legend in the lower Mississippi River. I'd like to introduce you to Dale Sanders. Hi, good morning. Ah, the Greybeard Adventurer here. Yes, we call him the Greybeard Adventurer. He's 80 years old. He did the Mississippi River in 80 days. Let's talk about when you started paddling. I started paddling, actually, originally in 1954. I, I, even before that, I became an instructor in canoeing in 1954. I'll put it that way. So I grew up in boats on the river for three sides to our farm. And I paddled for many years around uh, when I was uh, in the 20s and early 30s. And then I kind of got out of it for a few years, went into parks and recreation in my profession. When I finally got out of Parks and Recreation and retired in the, around the turn of the century, 2002 to be exact. Man, I went back to the rivers and started paddling. <laughs> I paddled uh, everywhere I could paddle, and when I moved to Memphis in 89, I started paddling the Mississippi and, the, and of course, the Wolf River. And so I've been paddling ever since. finally ended up, uh, I think the most significant thing I've done probably is a source to sea of the Mississippi River. When I was 80 years old, I did that, and uh, from source to sea, that's the task to the Gulf of Mexico. We'll get to that later, but right now, I want to talk to you about the lifestyle of paddling. How has it helped you health-wise? Oh, my gracious. When I'm out actively paddling, on like on a long trip, multi, multi-week trip, multi-month trip, I was cutting my medicines completely out and not even taking any of the prescription medicines anymore. Didn't I didn't think I needed them. The doctor told me, yeah, that's true. You really probably don't know, but he said, just cut them in half. So when I'm out on a multi-month uh, or multi-week trip even, I just cut my medications in half. So my health has really improved significantly because of the exercise, I think, and because of the lifestyle. I mean, I get out there and I get relaxed. I, you know, I'm in a total different environment. My demeanor just changes when I get on the river. Okay, that's incredible. That's incredible. When you're on the river, you seem to start becoming your natural self. A lot of people say they start feeling better. They started realizing things that are important, things that are not important. So whenever you go on a long river trip, it gives you an opportunity to really look at yourself inside. When, what did you think about when you're on your trip for 80 days from the source to the Gulf of Mexico? To answer that question, probably I need to sort of make a statement about what you said about equipment and about, you know, stuff and things like that. I've found that I can live with very, very little. You know, we don't have to have a lot of stuff to be happy. As a matter of fact, I think on the river paddling and on the trails hiking, I think it's probably helped me more than anything else to get to get satisfied with, with living with just very, very essential. Just sometimes, just what you can get on your backpack. 
So the lifestyle of the river has really been an important thing in developing my character and developing my health, in my opinion. I'm saying you were on the river for 80 days. I mean, where, were, where did your emotions go? Did they, did they stay positive the whole time, or did you, or did you just kind of, you go up and down, or did you whine like the river? i, I got to tell you, when you're on the river for 80 days— there are going to be moments, and there are going to be times when you think about, "I got to quit. I got to get off this river. I, I can't, I can't do it." But you just don't quit. You just, matter of fact, someone told me once, "Don't ever quit on a bad day." And sometimes you just can't find a good day to quit on. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. But uh, it's a, it's a good it's a good uh, it's a good experience. And what the bottom line is. Isolation and being on the river actually opens your thinking up so much that it's hard to explain, but you just become a different person. The demeanor, I just calm down. Everything just changes and gets better. Wow. Wow. That's great. That's great. So staying on that note, why do you think not many people uh, take advantage of these, uh, what do you call it, holistic properties of the river and... How, what can we do to get people to go out to the river more? Well, number one is I think people need to understand that they got to get outside and do some activities. They have to pick something to do outside. If it, There are three ingredients to staying healthy, in my opinion, and activity is the third one. And what's better than the river, you know, to get out and get active? You've got everything out there. You work every muscle you have, and you're out there sometimes alone in a boat. It's just like you're in a wilderness, literally in a wilderness area. I, I, I paddled one time from Cairo to Memphis. That's over 100 miles without seeing another human being. Now, that's really isolated, People don't realize how isolated the Mississippi River is, and people don't realize how being isolated sometimes really helps us to grow in life. Really oh, helps wow. us to, That's wonderful to really stuff. see where we are and what we are on this earth. Oh, right on, right on. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Okay, now explain one thing to me. Explain what the Wolf River Conservatory is and and what's your role well, the Wolf River Conservancy? Yes. Uh, well, I, I, I started volunteering for the Wolf River Conservancy back in around 2000, early 2000s, as a matter of fact, river guiding on the Mississippi River. And I went on to become more active as a volunteer with them. I actually wrote the training manual to train all the river guides. And I became on the staff with the Wolf River Conservancy and worked with them for four or five years. Uh, then I started hiking a little bit here and there and so had to leave the, my job uh, as staff member but I still volunteer for the, for them and what they do and what they stand for is really what's important about the whole thing Wolf River Conservancy is it's a volunteer official uh, sanctioned organization that is dedicated to improving the quality of the Wolf River. The Wolf River, you know, runs right through Memphis and dumps into the Mississippi River. And now I must say that their efforts to save the the river by many, many different branches, they clean it up, they buy the land, they put land in easements, and they do anything they can to protect the shoreline and the water quality. And it is 
improved so much you can now eat the fish, literally. And you can swim safely in the Wolf River. So they have really done a great job. And I will say that the Greenway that they're building along the side of the Greenway is probably one of the most important things that that, that, that organization has ever done is to build that greenway and get people out there. Because that way people get on the river and they can see what it is, you know, and then they walk it and then they decide they want to paddle it. The river guide program is really now really a big thing. That's probably 30, I think they got about 35 certified guides. And they run trips frequently. Matter of fact, one of the things that I started with the Wolf River Conservancy back in, woo, woo, about 2005. I mean, every first Saturday of every month, there's an official paddle sponsored by the Wolf River Conservancy, and that, they still do that. So if anybody wants to paddle the Wolf River and they want somebody to go with, log on to wolfriver.org and sign up. Right on, right on, Dale. Okay, this leads to the next question. How is agriculture affecting the water quality of the Wolf River when it pertains to nutrient pollution? Not only the Wolf River, but any river that the Wolf River dumps into and any river that dumps into the Mississippi, all those rivers are affected. And the further down you get, the worse it gets. Our culture, and it's I'm blaming that when I'm saying our culture. I'm saying that negatively because we have contributed tremendously to the degeneration of these rivers. And the Wolf River is just a good example of how it's just loaded with plastic and 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 by non-biodegradable products that people have purchased, used, and thrown into the water system. I've got some pictures of areas on the Wolf River, contributaries, creeks, and things that you just will not believe how much plastic and tr- trash and garbage. It's mostly ninety percent of it is trashed plastic. Wow, that's a big number. That's a big number, yes. And we have been seeing the same thing throughout the Mississippi River, especially after flood stage, you know, plastics in the trees. Oh, gosh, it's terrible. Yeah, I'm just wondering, uh, when are we going to uh, turn the corner on plastics? We've got to find something better off. With all the scientific brain power out there, why haven't we found a biodegradable plastic? I guess it's because it's economics, I imagine. that uh, I, I think if, if it had been more effort, put on funding some research it probably would have had a plastic by now that would be biodegradable priorities it just it just wasn't given the priority for research in all fairness i don't think that uh, we as people really came to grips to how bad it was going to get until it already got bad yes that's true i was looking at a documentary about uh, what's out in the ocean and uh they were saying that a lot of that trash (laughs) comes from the mouth of the Mississippi River when it goes into the Gulf. Uh, So you know that we're getting a lot of, uh, they call it urban pollution, because it comes from a lot of the creeks. We have to learn. Yeah, the Wolf River is just one of them. Example, that stuff, all those plastic bottles, they're going to end up in the Mississippi River, and they're going to end up in the the Gulf of Mexico. Yes, you know, those those cleanups we've done with uh, Living Lands and Waters, Every year we go back to the same creeks, and it's the same mess. It's just piles over and, and piles. over and over every year. And uh, we just have to get a grip on it, and it has to become a priority because if it doesn't, we're going to start seeing these microplastics in more parts of our life. You know, we start seeing the abundance in the fish population, then we're in trouble. What kind of fitness things are you doing now, Dale? Well, I've been doing a lot of hiking. I, what happened was when I paddled the Mississippi River, source to sea. I, 
I claimed an age record there. No one at, at 80 years old had ever uh, ever paddled uh, the full length of the Mississippi River before, and it, it, it got so much attention and all, I, I started thinking, man, there must be other age-related records out there that I could get. So I started thinking about what am I going to do next, you know? Uh, am I going to go do the Missouri River? Maybe I'll paddle that and give you the oldest person ever hiked or ever, ever paddled the Missouri River. But I said, well, I might want to do something other than paddling for a few years. And so I looked at the Appalachian Trail. Ah, oldest person ever through hike the um, Appalachian Trail was uh, – Earl Schaefer himself, the creator of the of the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, and he was 77 years old. I could break that record. Shoot, I'll be 83 years old when I finished it, and I'll have another world record there. I I just decided I I think I'm gonna see if I can't do the Appalachian Trail, and uh, I had so many people tell me you're not a hiker, you're a boater. You can, hikers can't hike can't can't uh, do the Appalachian Trail at any age you got to grow up in that culture you to do that you know that's 2,200 miles it's going to take you six months and uh, you can't do it unless you've had experience in it I told him I, I, I could give it a try and I'm, I'm gonna prove them wrong what I was thinking in my mind <laughs> and it took me 10 months but I threw hiked it, and I broke Earl Schaefer's record. There was another guy, 81, that had hiked the uh, Appalachian Trail. It turns out that he was the only a section hiker. See, it took him multiple years. They considered a through hike if you finish it in less than 12 months. So I finished it in less than 12 months. Ten months took me. Oh, right on, right on. Odell, always breaking records. That's awesome. So well, I just me. I just did another one, you know, this past uh, spring. Uh, I've hiked uh, the Florida National Scenic Trail from Key West to the Alabama border, up into the Panhandle, Alabama border. I hiked that whole trail, 1,300 miles, and did it in 90 days. Wow, wow. So you're telling me you've kind of gone on land now. You think you'll ever return to the rivers? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm right now. Uh, uh, matter of fact, I just got back two weeks ago from hiking the Alabama road work uh, from the Florida Trail up, up toward uh, Springer Mountain, which is where the Appalachian Trail starts. And I'm, this fall, I'm going to finish that all out and hike uh, the Pinhody Trail over to Springer Mountain. And then next year, my plan is to hike the International Appalachian Trail. That would be from Central Maine, Mount Katahdin, to uh, up at uh, Gaspe, Canada, in Quebec, and uh, once I do that, I will have completed the, not a through hike now, but once I do that, I will have completed the entire Eastern Continental Trail, and I'll hold another record. Nobody at my age has ever hiked that entire 5,400-mile trail before. Wow, wow. You going to do it solo? Yeah, it'd be solo. Yeah, I've been hiking solo. I did the Appalachian Trail solo. I did the Florida Trail solo, Florida National Scenic Trail solo. And I was doing the uh, Alabama Road Work solo and uh, Penhody Trail. I'll go ahead and it goes over to where the Appalachian Trail starts, as, as I mentioned. I'll do that solo too. But when I get through up in Canada and I get that Eastern Continental Trail under my belt, I'm going to sit down in a canoe again that nice seat of my canoe and I'm going to put that paddle in my hand and I'm going to do something long and big. I'm thinking about the Missouri River. 
That's awesome. That's even longer. <laughs> that's going to be a good one to do, brother. I hope well, you run into a couple yeah, of grizzly bears while you're yeah. up there, too. If I were to, I'll run in and I'll see some grizzlies. But if I could paddle the Missouri River from Brower Spring to the Gulf of Mexico, that's 3,700 miles, I would have another record there. Nobody uh, my age has ever done it before. Welcome back to May the River Be With You, and now we have a river story by Dale Sanders. What is the wildest or the craziest thing that you've seen either on the Mississippi River or all your hiking adventures? Oh, man. I can tell you what scared me the most. What scared me was the most was, have you ever heard of uh, Lake Pippin up in Minnesota? The Mississippi has um, about 40 dams on it, 40 lakes. One has been torn out up up around the headwaters, but still that leaves uh, 40 lakes because one of those lakes that's that's natural. That's Lake Pippin. It's not man-made. It's really deep, and it's kind of shaped like the Loch Ness. And uh, there's a local legend. It has its own Pippin monster. And I was camped down at the with a guy named John Sullivan up there. He's runs the Mississippi Rivers uh, group on Facebook, down where the Pippin River runs out into the Mississippi. On my birthday, he brought me a cake. As a matter of fact, he paddled out and got a cake that day. That was my 80th birthday. And we were, he was telling me the stories about the Pippin monster. And I, we stayed there 24 hours waiting for another paddle to catch up with us. The next morning, early in the morning, after all those stories about the Pippin monster, I was paddling out. And when you paddle out of the Lake Pippin, it it goes fast for a little while, then it branches off, fingers off into a bunch of channels. Well, John went one way, and I decided to go another way. Well, I was paddling along in this relatively narrow area, about 50, 30, 50, 75 feet wide there. Water's running pretty fast. Early in the morning, and all of a sudden, man, off about 10.30 to my left, it was uh, something came out of the water and raised up. It had a head just exactly like the Loch Ness Monster. It was at least one foot in diameter, and it just kept coming up, coming up higher, and the water was getting me closer to it, and here it was going up above me. It was actually up above my head, and every, literally, hair on my body stood on end, even the hairs on my head. I have never in my life been that scared before, and it got up six or eight feet into the air, and it's about... 20 feet in front of me at 10, 10, 10, 30. And you know what? It fell back down. When it fell down and hit the, hit the water, I still didn't know it wasn't alive. You know what it was? What was that? A log had been floating down just exactly in the right position, and one end of it hit the mud. And when it hit the mud and the water lifted it up, and just raised it up, and it just happened to be shaped like a Loch Ness monster's head. And when it fell down and all, I, it just it just really looked like a monster coming up real early in the morning light, you know? Oh, yeah. Man, that was the scariest I have ever been on any paddle anywhere. That is incredible. You just had me sitting here on edge, man. I was wondering what it was. But it's funny how the shapes and the sounds 
and the movements on the river sometime with a combination of uh, just being tired and you start imagining things and you start seeing shapes. It's incredible how it affects everyone. Yeah. And uh, that was probably one of the best stories we've ever had. So thanks a lot, Dale. And uh, that's going to conclude our interview, Dale. I thank you for all your great your great words and stories. And, uh, and like we always say at the end of our show, may the river be with you. Thank you. Appreciate it. May the river be with you and Quapaw. Hey there, River Rats. Do you have a Mississippi River story to share? Text the words, my story, to 662-235-9346 to get started. And remember, may the river be with you. Hello out there, this is Mark River, and welcome to Reflections. This piece I'm going to read is called The Sweet Spot. It's June, and the Mississippi River is still unusually high, but here in the lower Mississippi, we seem to be in the sweet spot. The Missouri River is causing havoc throughout the eastern Midwest, causing flooding in the upper Mississippi Valley, while the Arkansas River is pushing tons of water into the Mississippi River above Greenville, Mississippi. We have beautiful flooded forests and a few fascinating islands above water that are great for camping. The songbirds are in full swing. Brightly colored Baltimore Orioles are flying through the trees singing and competing for females. The beavers, who usually don't build many lodges because of the vast amount of water, are building floating platforms. Bald eagles are off the main channel, taking advantage of the easy fishing in the floodplain. The female white-tailed deer are showing their bright orange clumber coats while carrying offspring. They are focused on the next generation, so they seem to not care of our presence. Turtle markings are up and down the sandy bluffs. They lay millions of eggs, which supplies the predators and scavengers with valuable protein to produce healthy milk for their newborns. This is part of the balance of nature and the turtle population is not affected. The least turned females are showing up with the males already here. Coyotes are calling out while wild pigs scream and squeal at a distance. Large delta turkeys litter the sandbar stuffing themselves on sandflies and other insects. Dragonflies are buzzing along while the Mississippi kites arriving from South America are stalking them high in the sky. There is only a few acres of sand on most of the islands, so we all have to share the real estate. Hey, hey, hey there, Riverettes. Welcome back to May the River Be With You. This is your host, Charles Coleman, and today I want to talk about the benefits of outdoor recreation activities. So I have with us Todd Davis, Assistant Professor of Health and Physical Education and Recreation and Director of Outdoor Recreation at Delta State University. So Todd, before we dive in, um, could you first tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm an Assistant Professor at Delta State and I've been there 11 years now. Uh, I earned my Doctorate of Education at Delta State and then just to sort of decide to stay. And um, it's been an interesting <laughs> uh, journey to be here in the Delta and in Mississippi period. I am from 
a small town in North Idaho, way up in the mountains, called Kamii. And I was born and raised on the Nespers Indian Reservation. My father was a wildlife biologist. Uh, my mother was an educator. And I think I just sort of took both of those aspects of their lives and kind of meshed it into one. I saw moving here 11 years ago as an adventure and an opportunity. Ground. I was in the Coast Guard as a rescue swimmer. Uh, I was stationed in Kodiak and Cape Cod. I coached girls basketball, taught in high school, worked for parks and recreation in aquatics director youth programs. I've kind of done it all. Great. And uh, as the director of um, outdoor recreation and and as a professor, um, what are some courses or programs that you offer and which ones do you think people receive the most gratification from? Our program is very unique because we have the only accredited program in the state of Mississippi, which means we are the only program that provides collegiate credit or college credit for these courses. There are four other programs in the state, Southern Miss, uh, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss do have outdoor programs, but they are a student-based, fee-based trip program where you know you just sign up and you go on these trips, but there's no academic credit or no academic coursework for them. Our program is unique in the sense that we do have academic course and we do have academic credit. We have a brand new state-of-the-art laboratory uh, at Delta State that we built and constructed. So it has a rock wall with rope stations to learn how to tie knots and be involved in rock climbing. We have access to the aquatic center to do our canoe and kayak uh, safety workshops and classes. And then, of course, the lab has a full workstation, lab tables, gear storage, so the students could come in and get all the gear and equipment and you know touch it, play with it, set it up, repair it, and, of course, learn about it. We've conducted significant research through our program. Um, I conducted a two-year study with African-American students at all four of those major universities to finish my dissertation work uh, on the perceptions about outdoor recreation among African-American students, 18 to 24. So we've been across the country, actually, at major associations presenting that research and data. I mean, yeah, we offer all the introductory courses, intro to sea kayaking, intro to rock climbing, intro to mountain biking, backpacking, uh, intro to canoeing. And then we have an advanced class that allows those students who have done one of those intro classes to go on a longer expedition, like a seven to 10 day expedition. Uh, And we do those on the Rio Grande River in Big Bend National Park in Texas. We also take students to Moab, Utah and to the mountain bike trails. And then we also uh, have gone to the Grand Canyon. We learned to mountain bike at Ackerman at Lake Choctaw. Uh, it's a forest service federal property down just south of Starkville, just, just north of Louisville. Uh, it has 150 miles of single track mountain bike trails and it's phenomenal. Hilly, bumpy, bridges, features. It's beautiful. We learned to rock climb in Batesville, Arkansas, which is just on the northeast section of the Ozarks. There's a place called Jamestown, which is nothing but a, but a wilderness setting. But it does have a private owner that bought this whole cliffside specifically for rock climbing. It's tremendous. It's just a beautiful setting and uh, perfect for rock climbing and especially for teaching and introducing students to that. Our canoeing classes are typically done in the pool for some safe settings, but we have used the river, the Mississippi River, up at Hurricane Point. The problem with the river is it's just uh, so wild. And when we plan to do weekend or evening classes, so we've shied away a little bit from the river for coursework, just because it fluctuates so much and we keep it in the pool. We were the one of the only two universities in the entire country, and the other university being the Ohio State University that ever offered uh, intro to skydiving. We actually took students to Lumberman, Mississippi, when we used to be Gold Coast skydivers there. That was one of our largest outdoor rec classes of all time. We ran that program for three years until that place closed down, and we've looked at some options of trying to reintroduce the intro to skydiving, but yeah, we had 
hundreds of students sign up for that. So, I mean, that's our program in a huge nutshell, but any student at Delta State can sign up. These are elective courses. They count for any professional development credit or activity credit. We typically meet on Wednesdays for a few hours, go over workshops and seminars. Some things are done online. We teach and talk about uh, conservation, preservation, outdoor ethics and concerns. It's, it's great. We, we do talk about John Rusky quite a bit and his commercial uh, platform and how you can take seemingly nothing and turn it into something just tremendous, which is, you know, which certainly John has done with Quapaw. The most gratifying is the intro courses. To see somebody who has never slept a night in a tent, wake up the next morning and know that they made it, <laughs> that they're still alive, uh, that's pretty gratifying. And as far as like students who are not familiar with Mm -hmm. um, canoeing or swimming, how do you introduce that to them? Uh, I'm going to be really honest with you. It's been a really hard sell to try to convince, let's just say, an African-American female from Clarksdale who for her whole life has been told, don't ever go to the river. It's dangerous. It is hard to convince an 18-year-old adult, essentially, to want to go with me, a white guy who isn't from here, you know, to go canoeing with him for the weekend. Um, It's been a difficult sell. That's why we chose the Aquatic Center. The Aquatic Center is clean. It's controlled. We have done games in canoes, like races or a canoe battleship, things of that nature. This is for everyone. Like anyone can sit in a canoe and, and literally anyone can paddle a canoe. And if you can paddle in the pool, you can certainly paddle in any kind of lake or river. One of the other parts of that is that, you know, if you can, if they can get something from it, if they can get college credit for it, specifically in an area or a need, it really becomes cost benefit. Like, what am I going to get from doing this? I'm risking my life for you. Like, what are you going to give me? And that's crazy to think about, but that's just the culture that we live in in the Delta. I mean, there are students that that go to this that are first generation. We have a high population of impoverished students that come to Delta State. So the fees that we set are extremely low. We've gotten significant grants and funding to help provide all the gear and equipment. So to give you an example, to go on a three-day rock climbing trip, all expenses paid, travel, your food, the permits and the fees, $60 for three days. Uh, We actually have a really interesting story from a gal here in Clarksdale. Uh, Her name is Chiquitha, and she's an elementary ed major. I convinced her to be a work-study student for us. She was cleaning our gear and equipment for an entire year. And finally, she just approached my graduate assistant, who was a female at the time. She just said, is there any chance I could go on one of these trips? I mean, I've been cleaning these stuff for you guys. I've been packing it, but I've never gone. Can I use some of the money I make in work-study to go? And we're like... (laughs) If you want to go, we're going to get you on that bus and you ain't paying nothing. I'll even give you hours of work study to go. But we never force it upon anybody. You know, we're like, if you want to go, let's make it happen. But we try to push the benefits and try to create, you know, an inclusive culture for sure. But we really want somebody to go who wants to go because there's nothing worse than trying to make someone to go. And it's just it's not for them. Because really, let's be honest, Outdoor Rec isn't for everybody. There's plenty of things to do for everyone. You can't make people want to, you know, drink the water. They got to drink it. With that being said, we have started an all-female gender-centric research project where we have taken all-female expeditionary groups, trained them from ground zero up. Last year was our first expedition to the Grand Canyon, and we did the Hermit Trail, which is considered to be one of the harder trails all the way down, all the way back up in three days. Uh, We had several students, alumni, and faculty and staff that led the trip. It was extremely successful. These women have to learn how to set this stuff up, and they have to learn risk management because them 
and their crew depends on it. So with that being said, and it was so popular, we have launched a second aspect of this project. And we have a group that was just initiated last week that has already filled going to the Rio Grande in Big Bend, Texas for seven days over Thanksgiving break. Again, all female, led by female, and all the research done uh, with females. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really great. So you said you have a, a connection with, with the Mississippi River. What's that relationship like? Do you go often or what would you encourage someone that hasn't been out to the river? Um, so my relationship personally has been has been strong. I've been out to Island 67, 69. Um, I've paddled all the way from Quapaw Landing all the way down to Bungie Landing several times. And I've actually taken students several times. Um, we've taken probably five or six different student trips down the river. It's amazing. Yeah, what are what are some of your favorite stories about the Mississippi River? I mean, just the islands. The islands are like their own ecosystems out there. I mean, we talk about bird life, wildlife. I've seen black bear. I've seen deer. I've seen snake. I've seen goose uh, and birds and other birds that I've never even really seen before, especially during the migration. I mean, it's a funnel through there. And I mean, most of those birds use that river as a gateway and as a highway because there's uninhabited space. And those islands, I think, are safe havens for a lot of the bird life. So it is still so wild and scenic in a sense. I mean, it's certainly not federally legislated as wild and scenic, but it could and should be because it does provide, you know, some of the most wild and scenic vistas that we have left in the state of Mississippi. Black Creek down in southern Mississippi is our only legislative 21-mile section of federally protected wild and scenic river. And I hope that anybody who's listening to this doesn't take offense, but it's a great river. I mean, it's nothing compared to the Mississippi. It's a, it's a mystery, you know. It's just an interesting place for sure. But I certainly know why John is taking people down it. And I, you know, and I cannot appreciate it more for what he's doing for that river. Yeah, because the first time I went out on the river was probably last year for my first time, and it was it was great. Uh, and you've lived here how long? All my life, 28 years. And that's something. Yeah. So, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's hard, though, to explain what the river does for people. This river really does deserve respect, um, and it expects your respect, because it will take from you if you... If you're not careful yeah. and you bring up a point about, you know, like education. And I think that's one of the educations is knowing when to go and when not to also knowing what equipment and gear you need. I would not suggest anybody just go out to Bungie Landing tomorrow and be like, oh, let's go kayaking. But can you? I mean, yeah, the answer is yeah. With the right education, the right time, with the right platform, right people, the right skill set. Yeah, I mean, the river can provide you endless opportunities to be involved in recreation and, you know, learn about conservation and visit those islands and and be careful but also be adventurous you know and get out there and do stuff it's it's probably one of the only wild places we have left in america to be honest with you is this section of the river right here before i let you go todd i want to ask you are there any opportunities for community members and people that are not at delta state to take a listen or to experience the outdoor rate program that you all offer we have a couple different things. So we started the Okra Camp, which is the Outdoors Plus Kids Equals Recreation Activity. It is a, a camp that I started 10 years ago. This is our 10th year. It is a two-week camp. Kids come for one week per age group. So we start at six and go six, seven, and eight the first week, nine, 10, 11 the second week. It's pretty nominal. It's $100 for the week. 
But those kids get to go uh, stand-up boarding in the pool, kayaking in the pool, canoeing in the pool. Uh, they get to rock climb on a rock climbing wall. So that camp is developed to be an early exposure camp to try to expose and educate kids as early as six. We also throw in nutrition in that. So that's our early exposure. We are looking, even at just this semester, to partner with some of our area schools to look at providing some after-school programming and weekend programming for either the fifth or sixth grade. As far as the adult community, all of these courses are open to community members. I think the struggle is, for some of our community members, is that our classes are offered from two to four on Wednesdays. We do have a high congregation, if you will, of parents. I mean, and weekends are a tough time for our families. There's so much in sports. But the answer to your question is, do we? Yes, we do. And with this all-female research trip, it is highly comprised of community members, alumni, faculty, and staff. So it's something that we're looking at exploring. Right now, we don't have the manpower, the people power, or the time, because our academic program is just so well-versed. And I mean, we're pretty much every weekend uh, taking students on trips. We almost need another van, another me, or another someone like me, you know, with a yeah. with a program so that we can offer more community-based. But we have offered some things, and we're looking at trying to explore maybe the workshop setting in the evenings. Uh, right now, we're just focusing on our college program, making sure it's solid and high quality, which it is, and we're really happy with that. Thank you, Todd, for being here with us today. I've learned a lot about outdoor recreation and I just enjoyed you being here and chatting it up with us. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. All right, listeners, there you have it. This is May the River Be With You. All right, this is John Rusky. We're now going on River Time. My devotion took the form of sharing what I love with the colony, the hive. The overwhelming aroma of rich, muddy nectar led me to the garden. I found my paradise lost in the mud. Freedom no longer meant escape. It meant belonging, belonging to something greater than myself. I became a honeybee, a worker bee. In the river, she became my queen. Until my daughter Emma Lou came around, that is. This program is brought to you by One Mississippi. Can the river count on you? Clarksdale Revitalization Initiative, investing in the strength of downtown Clarksdale. Quapaw Canoe Company, engaging all walks of life to the Mississippi River. Book your trip today by going on www.island63.com and start planning your next adventure. Cahoma Collective is a new nonprofit with a mission to catalyze arts-driven, community-inclusive revitalization in downtown Clarksdale, Mississippi. It sponsored the opening of Collective Seed and Supply, the artist-owned and operated garden center and general store, and it also developed and opened the new 20-room Traveler's Hotel. Look for Collective Seed and Supply in Traveler's Hotel on social media. This show is hosted by Mark River and Charles Coleman. Produced by John Rusky, Mark River, and Charles Coleman. And audio engineered by Coop Cooper and directed by Coop Cooper. Music by John Rusky and Rivertime segment by John Rusky. Mm-hmm.